0: Deuteronomy. I have to be careful how I pronounce Deuteronomy. I want to call it Dukeromany. I want to call it a bunch of things. Deuteronomy. Last week we looked at uh, how God told Moses he would raise up a prophet like unto Moses. And the words of this prophet who is none other than Jesus will speak the words of God the Father and God has declared I will require of all persons that hear the words of my son I will require it of them whatever Jesus speaks God the Father will require it of mankind God places upon mankind the responsibility of hearing His Son. So let's read Deuteronomy 18, verses 19 through 22. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know uh, the word which the Lord has spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. When a prophet speaks, especially the prophet, speaking of Jesus, we are to be listening. God requires that we listen. God gives himself, or God himself really declares, I will require, I will judge a person To hear the words of my prophets, especially my son. Not hearing nor accepting Jesus' words is really nothing other than unbelief. And unbelief happens to be a sin. The ultimate sin of unbelief leads to death and separation from God. But, you know, sometimes as Americans, we're we're a hard sell. We feel we have the right to be convinced of a truth before we apply it to our lives. I'm going to get on a soapbox now. Take politics, for instance. (laughs) The way I see things, most conservative Christians put a lot of hope and faith In the Republican Party. And I think the main reason is that Democrats seem to promote an agenda that uh, Christians consider sinful. Things like abortion. Same-sex marriages. So I think the Republicans are not necessarily our preferred choice. But they're a lesser of two evils for a lot of Christians. In our last presidential election, I voted for Romney. Romney happens to be a Mormon who belongs to what I call a cult religion. However, I felt Romney was the lesser of two evils. So I voted for him. And by the way, I'm sorely disappointed in Congress where Republicans hold a majority in the House and Senate, and the Speaker of the House, Bonard, he's stepping down, and that doesn't disappoint me in the least. Kind of glad to see the man go. <laughs> but I say all this to point out, God is not a Republican. And he's not of the other party either. <laughs> to me, it becomes obvious that man cannot govern man. As a Christian, I feel we have a responsibility to vote. We've given that. We're in a free nation. I think we should be required to vote if you want to get down to it. But in matters of faith put your hope and trust in our Lord God, not in a political party. I honestly feel America is awaiting judgment from God because of the way we have gone. I definitely feel we're in what we would call a post-Christian era. As a nation, We continue to pass laws, create treaties, contrary to God's word. And God, being a just and holy God, will judge mankind based upon our obedience to his word. And as prophets... And by the way, we're all prophets. If you speak forth in the name of Jesus, in the broad sense of the term, you are a prophet. You're proclaiming God's word. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to speak forth God's word. But make sure you're basing your opinions, including political opinions, upon God's word, not upon a political party. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 and 22, it tells us, let our words as prophets, Christians, be God's word, God's principles, and we're never to speak presumptuously. That's a mouthful of a word, presumptuously. But speaking presumptuously is speaking beyond a person's authority. You're going beyond your authority, speaking excessively bold, overconfident, perhaps in your thought and word, to the point of being lifted up in pride and being arrogant. It always baffles me when I hear preachers, preachers of renown, those on TV and so forth, making headline grabbing statements and predictions. Let me take you back just 15 years ago, Y2K. Remember the computer scare? Many well-known prophets proclaimed that computer failure around the world was gonna bring chaos. airline computers would fail, resulting in airline crashes. Financial institutions were gonna lose all the records of money in holding in transaction, and therefore, financial chaos. Some even said that the water district and the electric uh, power suppliers, uh, they were gonna go off-grid because of loss of computers. And millions and millions of dollars were spent trying to correct a glitch that never happened. There was one well-known Calvary ministry who was making plans to move to New Zealand move his ministry and himself to New Zealand to avoid what he thought was political or computer failure, resulting in chaos here in America. Pastors and so-called prophets speaking presumptuously, causing great fear in many of their members, in many of those who listen to them. During that whole thing, I like japan 's approach to the Y2K scare. They simply says, "If our computers fail, we will fix them." <laughs> there you go. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> last Sunday night last Sunday night, a week ago, we had a blood moon. How many of you heard all the hype on the blood moon? And there were ministries in Texas. Wouldn't want to live there, would you, Jaime? No, wouldn't want to live there. (laughs) And they were sounding an alarm that the end time was here because of the blood moon. I knew a Christian lady who, a couple months back, she told me she was going to Texas to attend some of these end time scenario conferences. I said, really? Really? And she was surprised that I wasn't warning you, our people here, about the soon return of Jesus because of the blood moon. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we are in what I consider end times. I think we're there without a question. I believe we are in what Thessalonians calls the birth pains of a pregnant woman. We are experiencing the things that will lead to what I call the rapture of the church. And I do believe the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. I truly believe that. I don't think there's anything scriptural that prevents the rapture of the church happening right away. So live with the expectation. Let that expectation of the rapture purify your heart. But I also understand and realize No man knows the day or the hour. We're told that. So let's look at what Jesus had to say to his disciples about end times. Matthew 24, 1 through 14. Turn there, we're gonna we're gonna read 14 verses there. Matthew 24, 1 through 14. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. Uh, They wanted to tell Jesus what the temple was all about. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nation. And then the end will come. It's interesting to me how proud the Jewish disciples of Jesus were of their temple. They came as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and they want Jesus to look upon the temple in all its beauty and its glory. And And they say, look, Jesus, how beautiful it is, the temple. They're sitting on the hill. It's gleaming white marble, a golden roof. And it was supposed to be an absolutely beautiful sight to behold. But verse 2, and allow me to paraphrase here. Jesus says, yes, my disciples, the temple is beautiful. And then he says, but not one stone shall be left upon another. The temple will be tore down completely and destroyed. Well, that happened in 70 AD, when the Roman general Titus burned the temple, supposedly by accident, and his soldiers literally tore down the temple to get at the gold that had melted from the fire and ran into the cracks of the stones And they were retrieving this gold, and they completely leveled the temple. Verse 3, the disciples want to know when will these things be, be, and don't miss this, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus says, take heed, my disciples, that no one deceives you. A de- great deception obviously will become about. We have presumptuously speaking prophets who are deceivers and their message is one of deception. Jesus says, do not be deceived. Now I am troubled that many false Christ are now about and walking about the world and doing well, and some we know about and some we don't know. And there are literally hundreds of people who claim to be the Christ. And these presumptuously speaking prophets that we have on TV and well-known men and so forth, who claim to know the time of the end of the age. Some are even so bold as to actually name the day. Harold Camping, years back, had quite a following in uh, Central California, in the San Francisco area. He named the day. Then he apologized. He said, I miscalculated. and he named another day. He missed again, by the way. But I am disturbed mostly what I see in my own country. I am disturbed that the United States will make treaties with Israel's sworn enemies. I'm deeply concerned by Russia's aggression in the Ukraine. And now they're bombing Syria. Wars and rumors of wars. Jesus told the disciples, though, do not be troubled. These things must come to pass. Our world right now is in extreme political unrest. Millions upon millions of refugees are fleeing to Europe, and Europe can't handle them all. Syria. Israel's neighbor is being bombed by Russia. But Russia claims, oh, we're only trying to bomb ISIS. Yeah. Anyway, the end of verse 6 tells us it's still not the end. The end is not yet. In verse 8, these things, wars, pestilence, earthquakes must come for they are the beginning of of sorrows. And I think we're there. And just when it appears things could not get worse, they seem to get worse. (laughs) But the question, who are things getting worse for? We have to keep this in context. Jesus is talking to his Jewish disciples. And when interpreting scripture, we are always to keep things in context. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Jewish temple and the end of the age. So things will grow worse for the Jewish nation. And the friends of the Jewish people I hope I hope that's us that includes the Christian world my friend we're quickly as a nation quickly turning our backs upon Israel we're making treaties with Israel's sworn enemies We're making treaties with nations that call for the annihilation of Israel. And we are making treaties with them. By making a treaty with Israel's sworn enemies, we place ourselves, United States, in a position as a nation against Israel. Israel for years has watched Iran build up their nuclear weapons and Israel's friend, us, the United States, has tried to encourage Israel to take the approach of negotiations. And right now, if Israel were to strike Iran for defense reasons, strike their uranium enrichment facilities, they Israel would be breaking a treaty that we have with Iran. Through this treaty, we could very well become Israel's enemy. And it's a very, I consider, bad treaty, a very naive treaty with Israel's enemies Iran. Verse 9 declares Israel will be hated by all nations for the namesake of Jesus, the hating of Israel, the turning of our backs upon Israel as a nation, is happening right before our eyes. When Israel recognizes their Messiah at the second coming of Christ, which happens to be after the rapture of the church, we will see the hatred of Israel is growing right now. Israel's products are boycotted throughout Europe and through many parts of the world. And there is an innate hatred towards Israel right now. And that hatred will grow. It's not going to be passive. It will grow. That's Israel. But how about Christians' beliefs? How about our beliefs? Well, they're under attack, or haven't you noticed? Opposing views of non-believers towards biblical truths and Christians in general, well, that opposition is rampant. The haters of God, they're no longer content to tolerate us as Christians. I'm sure you heard about the shooting in Roseburg, Oregon this week. Let me read just a little passage about that. Before going into spinal surgery, Ms. Boylan, 18, recounted her ordeal to her father from her hospital bed explaining how the gunman, opened firing, had entered her classroom. It was her fourth day at college. His words, I have been waiting to do this for years. The gunman told the professor who was teaching the class before shooting the teacher point blank. Boylan said others were hit and everyone in the classroom dropped to the ground. The gunman ordered the students to stand up and ask if they were Christians. Boylan told her family, and they would stand up, and he said, Good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in about one second. Boylan's father, Stacy, told CNN, uh, recounting what his daughter had seen, and then he shot and killed them. Boylan was hit in the back, but a bullet by a bullet that had gone down her spine. While she lay bleeding on the floor, the gunman called out, "Hey, you, blonde woman!" And she played dead to survive. But here's what's not reported. Eight people, at least eight people, saw their fellow Christian brother or sister be shot, killed before their eyes, and yet eight people stood up, claimed to be a Christian. You ever wonder if you'll have the strength to be a martyr? You will, when God gives you that strength. Eight people saw their fellow classmates die and still proclaim to be a Christian. That is encouraging. But look what comes about on the scene in verse 11, false prophets, presumptuously speaking prophets, rising up to deceive many. These things must come to pass. As disciples, we're encouraged to endure to the end. Verse 14, before the end, the gospel will be preached to the entire world. Before Jesus comes back, the gospel will be preached to the entire world. But look who's doing the preaching. Revelation 14, (laughs) 6 and 7. Let me read these two verses. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is an angel of God with the purpose, sole purpose of preaching the gospel from the heavens. This angel is flying through the heavens, proclaiming, the everlasting gospel to those on earth in their own language. So there's none who do not understand. God is not using a man to proclaim the gospel, but his own angel. And the angel declares to all upon the earth, worship God, your creator, for the hour of judgment has come. Come, God's designated angel declaring God's word. Now, here's the good news for believers. This is a time of wrath where God is pouring out his wrath upon mankind, and we are not appointed unto God's wrath. <laughs> As believers, we are, for lack of a better term, raptured. You, know, you hear a lot of people shy away from that word. And raptured simply means being caught up to be with the Lord. The church is out of here. Read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. It's really good reading. But as believers, we who have trusted in Christ... Jesus suffered God's wrath for us. God turned his back upon Jesus when he was on the cross because he took upon our sins. That suffering of wrath for us is complete. And the catching up of the saints, I honestly believe there is nothing that has to happen scripturally, for the rapture to occur. So that could happen at any moment. Purify your hearts. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, you put a great emphasis upon the world, us as mankind, believing your prophets and, of course, believing your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those students in Roseburg who were willing to be a martyr, willing to lay down their life and not deny you, even though they saw others being shot and killed. Thank you, Lord, for their courage. Thank you for by your spirit moving in their heart not to deny you. And Lord, let us be bold. Let us be quick to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those around us. We do not have to suffer wrath if we would just simply trust and rely upon you. We pray that that message would come forth from us. We proclaim that message here today. Do a good work in hearts and lives, Lord. Save many. Thank you, Lord, for giving us Jesus. Our provision of salvation. We thank you for that. Be with us, Lord. Watch over us. Take care of us. Cause us to be strong in these Eventful days that are upon us right now. As the world seems to be turning her back upon you, Lord, let us stand bold for you. Help us, Lord, I pray, by your Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you.